Welcome to another week at the movies. We're very French this week with two fine films opening. And guess what? They're neither romances nor comedies. You Will Be My Son is a tense drama about succession in a French vineyard as a determined patriarch tries to bypass his own son in favour of another. It's a great film to watch and you see quite a lot about the inner workings of a traditional French winery as well. That review coming up and as well The Giants, a gentle Mark Twainish adventure about three runaway boys. It's the work of actor, writer, director Bully Lanaires, a well-known face in films from France and Belgium and a talented writer and director. My conversation with Bully Lanaires later in the show. On the home front, two local films. The Paul Fennec comedy Housos vs Authority is opening on quite a lot of screens. Even the trailer makes me cringe. But Jason DeRosso thinks it has a bit going for it. That debate coming up, and we'll hear Jason also on a local film very different in tone. Last Dance, it's called, starring Firas Dirani as a would-be terrorist and Julia Blake as a woman he attempts to hold hostage. Then for those who can't go a week without some kind of action in the cinema, there's the police drama End of Watch starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Peña as two cops who inadvertently cross one of the drug cartels. Who ever said traffic duty was boring? Two words. Erase button. Two words. Just because you guys think you're these big ghetto gunfighters now don't mean you can be dropping your calls. That was at least two dozen words. Stop making so much bloody noise! I can't hear the TV! Merci. J'espère que Martin arrivera à me faire un petit fils. Oh, hey, Chez. I know you're upset, but I'm dying for a cone. Can you chuck us a bomb? How can you do these things? I'm a soldier. You're a terrorist. Now, look, my mum just sent me a letter saying she's sick, and I'm, I just don't know how to feel about it, all right? Don't you Waking up in the morning, they like, hey, can I tell you a story? I know. There's a story about this and a story about that. Can I story about this and a story about that? But dude, all what you gotta do is this. All you gotta do is this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This yeah. advertising campaign is for a new type of aftershave, specifically targeting the poor demographic. It's called stank. The weekend film. Thanks, Mark Don. Now, the big George Lucas sellout. Yes, George has sold the lot. Star Wars franchise films, characters, toys, T-shirts, rights to Disney, who from 1915 will start making more Star Wars episodes. The Mouse House paid $4.5 billion US dollars. What prompted this? Has George at 69 grown tired of Star Wars long after most of the rest of us? Well, no, it seems George was thinking about posterity. I've always believed that Star Wars could live beyond me and I thought it was important to set up the transition during my lifetime. George Lucas said in a statement, now there's a man who believes his own publicity. So there will be a Star Wars 7 looming a couple of years from now and it's not true that all of us have grown tired of Star Wars. There are still loyal fans out there, including Waleed Ali, I discovered this week, and a bunch of new four-year-olds along every year. 
which is, I guess, what Disney counts on. For the record, I was thrilled by the first Star Wars film. I loved Princess Leia and Han Solo, found Darth Vader's heavy breathing and the giant spaceships thrilling, liked the Ewoks, quite liked the Ewoks in the second and became very, very bored thereafter. Later films managed to be both extremely loud and, well, drab, with uninspired script and acting. Maybe if Disney can avoid the law of increasing cuteness, Episode 7 may be an improvement. Now, Jason DeRosa has joined me. Hi, Jason. Were you a Star Wars fan? I wasn't, actually. Well, I liked the first Star Wars. My parents took me along to see that at a drive-in back when it actually came <laughs> out. But no, I'm not a sort of Gen X cliched fan of Star Wars like I so many other people. I went to a four-year-old birthday party last year in which they were all glued by the birthday boy's dad to Star Wars, one app after another. Oh. Whatever happened to childhood? That's terrible, child abuse. <laughs> Jason, end of watch first. Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena as LAPD cops caught up in something way beyond their league. You were quite excited when this you came a, back from seeing this. This is a really good police buddy movie. It's moving, It's um, it blends a sort of naturalism so that's almost reality TV-esque. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is actually doing a film course at night and so he films a lot of the Does action on his like little... Does it look like cops on TV? It, it, some of it looks like cops oh, on dear. TV. Except it's all sort of polished that bit more. So it becomes a kind of heightened reality TV look, if you like. Really crisp, as crisp as the Californian sun, if you like, but there are shadows looming. And, yes, they inadvertently cross paths with this Mexican drug cartel Wonderful film, wonderful exercise in ratcheting up the tension and intercutting the tense moments and the gunfights with this wonderful banter between these two guys, these two young optimistic cops who don't know what they're in for. Who is David Ayer, the director? Well, he's done a couple of films before this, but most people will know him as the writer of Training Day, which was a kind of similarly, mm. it was a similar sort of buddy, buddy cop flick. Also a very good one. Very edgy. End of watch, rated MA. Can anyone ever remember a film in which Jake Gyllenhaal didn't play a good guy? Well, that's a point. No, no, no. no. Not offhand? No. Be in touch out there if you can. Now, Jules, we've both been to see Houses versus Authority. I knew this was not your type of movie. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> and I know because I heard you talking about it with Cassie McCullough on Common Knowledge last weekend that you had a sort of soft spot for it. Mm. Paul Fennick has done some groundbreaking work, I think, in making comedy outside the Anglosphere. What do you reckon? Yeah, about and this especially one? kind of in the suburban hinterland of, you know, a big city like Sydney, especially. This is a very yeah. Western city. These Sydney aren't story. working class characters. These are this underclass. This is the lump and proletariat. Yeah, this that's is Boganland. Right. Well, it's beyond anything, really, isn't it? I mean, what I like about it, first of all, is that as archetypes, they're kind of they, they're guilt free. So it's an interesting trip to be in this camper van with them as they go on this road trip to Alice Springs. In other words, they hustle, they screw, they drink, they 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 smoke drugs without any sense of guilt or morality about it. And that's kind of fun, I think. Well, I just found it, A, loud, my ears hurt, <laughs> and B, rather monotonous, you know, all that constant screaming. And, you know, I'm not a prude about language. It just conveyed a lack of imagination. And I didn't find that many funny moments. There were one or two here and there, and I won't 
spoil the movie for those who have to. Can I just say, though, I think Paul Fennick isn't that great on the individual gags, but what he lacks in quality, he usually makes up for in quantity. In other words, all these small moments of stupidity at his best overlap and become these this sort of perfect storm of crazy hysteria. And this film lacks those sorts of moments that, that do pop up in his other work, I think, on the small screen in particular. Mm. So I kind of agree with you there, but I think that there's something that's stepping in the footsteps of Barry McKenzie here that, that I just like. Ali I think it's G. very Australian. Yeah, Ali G as well, perhaps. Sasha, Sasha Bauer and Cohen. Cohen, maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't know. It's not his best work. I'll yes, give you that. It doesn't stretch anyone linguistically. <laughs> it's going out very wide. Houses versus Authority is in cinemas now and it's rated MA. Finally, a small Australian film about big themes. Firas Durrani plays a homegrown Arab terrorist who stumbles into the apartment of an elderly woman played by Julia Blake and holds her hostage. A synagogue has been blown up. Yeah, there's been... She's a, a Holocaust survivor. Yes. We're essentially being set up for a two-handed drug. We are, we are. It starts a little bit like a, a thriller, but pretty soon the vast... It's kind of got this soft middle part that is... There's a lot of talking, a lot of... Um, it's it's a film that represents, to me, a quite an unlikely exchange, but it's the sort of thing that people do when they want to make films dealing with big metaphors. And the metaphor here is that he's actually Palestinian... She's Jewish, she's lived in Israel for some time, and the metaphor is all about if we sat down and spoke face-to-face, perhaps we'd learn that there's more that unites us, that separates us, and all of that sort of stuff. I don't think it's done well enough to carry. Really? I mean, it seems to me the plot lacks credibility, but Julia Blake is a very good actress. What about Firas Durrani? Well, Firas is a good actor too, but I don't particularly like him here. His Arabic accent, because he, he's a guy who's speaking with an accent, is a, a bit cliched. I think it doesn't play that well. Look, that, but they both put in good performances. I mean, these are good shifts at the office for them as actors, but I don't think the script does them any favours, I have to say. Okay. David Pulbrook directed and worked on the screenplay with Terence Hammond. Uh, and does it emerge on the side of one ideology or another? I think it emerges as a kind of exercise in humanist wishful thinking, let's put it that way. Yes. Um, let's but, all you know, sit down and talk and give peace a chance. Yeah, there are twists. I haven't given it all away. So if you're interested, you can, by all means, check it out and you won't feel like I've spoiled it for you. Last Dance is on limited release and it's rated M. Now, let's go to an old winery at Clos Forte in southeast of Bordeaux. The patriarch of the vineyard, Paul de Marseille, is thinking about succession. He's played by Niels Aristrop, the florid-faced, white-haired mafia boss we saw in Jacques Audiard's La Prophète. But Paul has no faith in his own son, Martin. He's played by Laurent Deutsch, and his father bullies Martin mercilessly. Tu m'étouffes, tu, tu m'asphyxies, tu, tu, tu mens, tu me méprises, tu m'humilies, tu passes ton temps à m'attendre au tournant, mais, mais c'est pas ça un père, t'es le contraire d'un père. You stifle me, you suffocate me, you despise me, you lie to me, you humiliate me, you set traps for me, you're the opposite of a father. You Will Be My Son is powerful drama. Anyone who's been involved in the winding up of a farm, a rural estate, knows how strong are the passions attached to the land and who will inherit it. Double or treble the stakes when succession on an established winery is the issue. It's not just a question of tradition, family and power, but money 
and prestige. The label must not be diminished. Filmmaker Gilles Legrand with a career which spans children's films and producing the hit period comedy Ridicule decided to research his next film by combining the two things he loved most and one of them was wine. So he spent a gorgeous year travelling the wine country of Burgundy and Bordeaux, quaffing and talking. But Legrand tells me the initial spark for this film actually came from Sean Penn's Into the Wild. It's a moment when the hero, played by Emile Hirsch, is on his way to the Alaskan wilderness but stops to work with an old man who befriends him. And indeed, the old man offers to adopt him. The look that Hirsch gives him and the look Hirsch receives says it all. Nils Aristrup's Paul, owner of this estate, is a hard man. He's much more bonded with his land than with his family. Indeed, his best communication is with his estate foreman, Francois, played by Patrick Chenet. Together they walk the vineyard, fret and plan each vendage. When Paul Saint-Martin, combined to the office and a role as a bookkeeper, makes suggestions... Paul brushes them aside and he overrides the protests of his daughter-in-law who says, don't you have any kindness? Wine has no pity, he tells her. Paul is not a nice man. Then his foreman, Patrick, becomes ill and doesn't tell his master, but his own son, Philip, returns from California to see his dad and almost immediately is being wooed by the patron. I think we sometimes have this vision of the vineyards of southern Europe as romantic places made for long summer days and gentle quaffing wine outside the old farmhouses. This film will disabuse you of those ideas. The work is hard. We see enough of the rhythms of the production year-round to understand some of how hard it can be and what rests on each year's vintage. The true strength of this film, though, is as drama. It unfolds like a Greek tragedy, fueled by extremely good performances. At its core, ideas of betrayal, not only conflict between father and son, but between master and servant as well. How much really can anyone, even the most powerful ruler of his own small kingdom, command after his death? Morally, should he? It's gripping stuff, like they say. Full-bodied with a long finish. Highly recommended. You Will Be My Son is rated M. This is Radio National and you're listening to Movie Time. Shouldn't you be watching? Now to The Giants, a sweet, sometimes comic, sometimes melancholy film about three runaway boys. Zack and Seth have been left alone for the school holidays while their mother is working in Spain. They're alone in the house which belonged to their grandfather, the place they've always come for their holidays. They're running out of money and they're bored. They begin by stealing food and then start foraging in other empty houses further afield. Then they pal up with a local boy who suggests something potentially much more profitable. Why not let their grandfather's house to this boy's brother and his boss, who's the local drug dealer? 
Though Seth, played by Martin Nissen, is 15 and the oldest, there is something so innocent about these boys that my heart was in my mouth several times on their behalf. Zach particularly misses his mother and I was longing for someone, anyone, to take these kids in and look after them. But the Giants is also a celebration of the end of childhood, that last stage when the world opens up to kids just on the cusp of puberty and offers them adventure. The world beckons. There is something of Huckleberry Finn in this film, reinforced perhaps because we're here in the forest of Arda in high summer and there is a lot of mucking about in boats. The Giants is the work of director Bully Lanier, who may be better known to you as one of the very fine comic actors from Belgium who populate French cinema. He's a delightful man, this, and very modest and a sensitive writer and director. This is his third feature film. And, yes, as I discovered when I met Bully Lanier in Paris, he was thinking just a little of Mark Twain. Yes, exactly. Were you thinking of Huckleberry Yes, I... Uh, can I tell, yeah. tell it in yes, French? Yes, because my English is yes, not sir. good enough. Uh, oui, je me suis replongé dans, dans, les, dans les lectures de Mark Twain avant le tournage et je pense que plus que des films Yes, I was um, inspired by Huckleberry Finn and I had uh, I reread Mark Twain uh, before the shoot. And in fact, the film is more inspired by literature than by other films. And when it came to the story of teenagers, um, when I'd read it as a young man, I had uh, always read a book with images engravings so there were pictures of the Mississippi and of the the wooden uh, hut and that was the decor yeah yeah so it's very sweet to see this tribute to to Huckleberry <laughs> not many people of the new generation remember him or read him Unfortunately, I think. yes because yeah. I think it's really a modern uh, yes uh, it's actually a very modern book um, and you have all the ingredients of the adventure story in it and 150 years later it's still very modern the actual writing and the style uh, a modern adventure story yeah um, but Huckleberry Finn was also an adventure story as a rite of passage growing up but also a commentary on the Mississippi of the times, you know. It was this kind of, in the encounters they had, it was a commentary on the world then in Mississippi. Do you think yours is also about the society or just about these three in, the, in, their, in their countryside, in their universe? Yes, I would say it does talk about today's society. Even though it's a, a tale, it, it's a film about a story, it's not particularly about society um, and it's seen through landscape and music. But there is a subtext which is that these children have been abandoned by their mother, there's no parental authority and they find themselves alone and I think that it's very contemporary in that sense because teenagers very often left to their own devices. Mm. This is true, this is true and there's a series of little shocks emotionally because of this in this film even though uh, on the surface you know the children aren't too often panicking you know um, but so many of the people they meet are brutal, 
so brutal. Quite all, quite all of them, yes. Well, no, except for the woman and the, her daughter. Yes, the personages. It's like in a conte. Yes, um, there are a lot of brutal people in this film. It's like a fairy tale where you have the three boys, the three children, lost in the woods. Um, no parents and they come across a lot of very nasty people uh, Angel is the wolf uh, Marte Keller is the fairy Boeuf is the miser and his wife is the witch so that it's like the characters in a fairy tale that they meet along the way and of course the woods are the place for the fairy tales of this kind yeah, yeah. you make a marvellous use of faces very uh, good close-up study of faces in this film. For example, when uh, children are selling the furniture in their house and the face of the guy, uh, was, it's not beef, it's... Uh, Angel. Angel. Angel, yeah. It's quite... Uh, Terrific. Mm. Yeah, terrifying, mm. yeah. So you must have looked very hard to find these faces, no? Look, look at my face. <laughs> I'm not a normal people. <laughs> and my friends are not normal. I think I like Yes, well, um, I rather like people with unusual faces, strange faces. I have a lot of friends who are very interesting looking. Um, and I've always liked people like that with a real, a distinctive look. Um, but in my film, there's not a lot of talk like in a lot of French films. So... The faces are very important because they express so much. Mm. Why the giants? Is this a reference to another fairy tale? It could. It could be a name of a fairy tale. Mm. But uh, les géants, parce que je... Yes, well, there's a bit of a paradox here because you have these little children who are both fragile and yet very sure of themselves. And the three of them take the decision not to stay with the fairy because they are this person even more fragile than they are. And they take this very noble decision, I think, to go off on their own and they become not just adult by doing that, but giants. Yes. I thought it was that, but I wondered if I'd missed another reference. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. There are some very droll scenes. I love the, the the one where they try the hair dye. Can you remember the moment in your life as a teenager when you had to take uh, some responsibility faced with a decision like that, when the adults were missing, perhaps? I was a teenager since six months. I'm just a man since okay. a few months since I made this movie. Master. Now. <laughs> he said he's only just become adult in the last six months. He's been a teenager up till now. That's too easy. <laughs> but he said uh, nowadays um, teenage starts very early and ends very late. It goes on for a very long time. Perhaps not as long as it has for <laughs> But um, he, he only feels now that he's become responsible. Okay. Okay. You were never abandoned? <laughs> No, no, I never. No, I, I had uh, parents. Uh, my parents were really very close of me. Very, very close. They were full of love, and my mm. sister too. So it's not the same as in the movie. But when I was very young, I, I went away. So uh, like in the movie, mm. through the nature. So, voilà, je suis parti beaucoup. J'ai, 
I left home very early, went off by myself and wandered like that. Um, so there is a resemblance. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find the boys? Well, I saw an awful lot of teenagers and I advertised in the press for people to come and take auditions and... Uh, a lot of kids today want to be in films, but not many of them can act. So I found the two brothers, first of all, and then I needed to find the third actor who would fit in very well with them because they're very close, and, and uh, he had to be someone who really fitted in, and I found him after. What qualities were you looking for in these children, in these teenagers? They must be actors. I don't know. I, don't, I, I cannot explain it, but... They just must be actors. They 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 must be. They have to to play. It's not. Tout le monde ne sait pas le faire. Il y a quelque chose qui ne s'explique pas. Well, first of all, they have to be able to act, and not everyone can. And then there's something about how they are on camera, how they look, how they look at the camera, and when I give them instructions, tell them what to do, they've got to be able to understand exactly what I mean immediately. So all, all these three were capable of that, and now they're all getting on very well with their career. So they've all become, um, they've gone on to do other performances. Yes, yeah. yes. They've become professionals. Yes, yeah. I hope so. I, I, I think they're going to now, yes. Mm. Mm. Because it struck me, thinking about your film, that uh, it's probably the most difficult age unless someone has had training to become an actor because in adolescence particularly the early years of adolescence so many of us are so self-conscious you know we are shy we are self-conscious we are apprehensive about how others will look at us. It's very hard to find this quality of composure which will make them open to what you want. Mais je suis d'accord avec vous à tel point que en fait quand j'ai commencé le casting. Yes, I agree. Um, when we started the audition, um, we, we no, the auditions it was in February and the film was to be made in the summer. So um, We'd found some children, and then when we did the first tests in June, one of the boys had grown up so much and his voice had changed that I actually had to replace him, and it was very hard for me to tell him because, you know, he was looking forward to making the film, um, that we had to replace him. So just three weeks before we started shooting, uh, because we couldn't change the dates, I was lucky enough to find the third boy who really got on well with the others. Yeah. Yeah. The river and the forest are very important in this film. Why did you want, I mean, apart from Huckleberry Finn and the origins, but why did you want to make it a rural film? D'abord, pour ne pas... Je pense que si j'avais fait le film en ville... Well, if I had made the film in a city, for example... I would have had to explain too many things because you would have to explain about the neighbours and the school and the police and all of those things that might have intervened. Whereas um, just making it in the country, I could have a pure adventure film and something very beautiful at the same time. And I myself am from the country and I like the idea of confronting man with nature. I used to do this myself when I was young. There's something mystical about it. 
And also, it was wonderful just filming in on the river, in the forest. Um, it made me think of a lot of uh, American films in nature. Such as... Comment? Comme tel, quel film américain, par exemple, dans la nature? De, Deliverance. Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> Et je me disais, wow! Bouli-Lanais, they are recorded in Paris in the gorgeous but echoing marble foyer of the Hotel Louvre. The Giants is rated M. It's on limited release, but do watch out for it. And that's the show this week. Thanks very much to Mark Don and, of course, to Jason DeRosso. I'm Julie Rigg. Take care.